morning, crypto. Good morning, Warriors. Hello and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel, Good Morning Crypto, where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto-related topics from a top crypto research team in the world. I'm your host, Abs, joined by several members of our 3T fam of this morning. We got the Italian stallion, Mr. Johnny Crypto. Gonzo, also known as Super G, is in the building. And we got Billy, the chart analysis expert behind the scenes. So I'm very excited for today's show. Today in Good Morning Crypto, we'll be discussing how the Bank of England completed its ISO migration this week, unlocking the ability to utilize digital assets. As MoneyGram has announced the use of Stellar, unlocking instant settlement for several nations. Bank of America has released a new crypto report, praising Ripple as an exception to the rule when it comes to revolutionizing cross-border payments. Mark Cuban is calling crypto America 2.0, announcing the world of payments is changing before our eyes. And with over 130 countries rolling out private currencies by 2024, we break down the details, showing our community how global institutions are creating the greatest opportunity of our era. Our show is available on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. And for those of you listening via podcast, our show is live on YouTube Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern at the 3T Warrior Academy channel. So, Johnny Crypto, the biggest news of the day is the Bank of America report. But before we discuss it, how you feel, my friend? And thank you for being here. Well, it's Friday. I'm always feeling great on Friday. Happy Friday to everybody. And good morning to all the Warrior Maniacs out there. Love and appreciate you guys. Good morning to Super G, who I now call Super Grandpa. Grandpops is in the house. So glad to see that. And, uh, God, just happy to man. So much news, Abs. Can't wait to hop into it. Absolutely, Gonzo. And we're excited to have you here as well. We're not going to be talking a lot of Ethereum, but maybe a little bit when it comes to JP Morgan and some of the connections. How are you feeling this morning? And thank you for being here. I'm feeling good. Can you still hear me? It seems like you just cut out in the middle of that. Okay, great. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Yeah, man, just a little tired. It's been a long uh, couple of days and stuff. But uh, uh, yeah, dude, it's Conspiracy Friday. So I just wanted to start off by like you had asked me a question at the very end of the show about who Satoshi is and what I thought. And I had kind of mentioned Nick Zabel. And so when you look at like this thing of Satoshi Nakamoto, like in the cyberpunks, it's gone the whole spectrum of each one of them being named Satoshi, right? But if you go back and you look, when, when Bitcoin was invented, though it was on a public board, right? So all, the, all those messages, all the board stuff, it's all still there for you to read. You can go back and look at its inception. And you have to remember that Satoshi wasn't the first, right? There were other iterations that came first. There was David Chom with DigiCash in the 90s that looked like it was going to take off. But once he started kind of partnering with the banks, it kind of went away from that. And the reason I said Nick Sabo, because that's what I lean to, we really don't know, is because he tried to create something called Bitgold, right? And so what happened was, is when Satoshi came out, and this is what's funny when they, when people talk about like, it's three developers, of course it was three developers, because Satoshi wasn't the first. He was just the first to kind of pick and choose the ideas that came before him, right? From Bitgold and DigiCash, right? He was the first to kind of put it all together in a white paper. And if you read the messages, he kind of put it out to the community. And it was several people that kind of added to the code, right? That perfected the code. He came out with the original idea of piecing it together. And then people like Hal Finney came out and coded it. And the other kind of cyberpunks added to it, right? And so when you look at Nick Sabo and they've looked at his writings and his posts, it's the closest match to the way that Satoshi would talk, right? But none of them know, right? Or at least they say they don't know, right? Uh, I mean, Hal Finney was kind of the coder. The first messages kind of went out to him, 
But uh, if I was to lean into it, I would probably say Nick Sabo, just because the first messages were to Hal Finney, and you could have Nick Sabo messaging Hal Finney in those original messages through the pseudonym Satoshi Nakamoto. Thank you so much, Gonzo. And that was a lot of information before our introduction, guys. But we're going to start this show off the same way we always do by showing you our Good Morning Crypto Twitter account. That is at 3TGM Crypto. Go smash that follow button. I'm always giving updates throughout the day. When we look at the Bitcoin Fear and Greed Index, we are sitting in a 56 this morning, Johnny. But unsurprisingly, it's split across the board. We got some green bubbles. Hex is up about 9%, near protocol 3%, and HBAR up about 1% on the day. When we look at the total coin market cap this morning, we are sitting at 1.18 trillion in total market cap. Bitcoin is 50% dominance. Ethereum is about 19%. Bitcoin is sitting at 30,300. Ethereum, 1870. And XRP, 46 cents. And guys, Gonzo broke it down pretty well. We're definitely going to be discussing more about Satoshi Nakamoto and why Bitcoin investors are so comfortable putting that discussion to the side. But before we do, we got 175 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And here's an important update from Mark Cuban when it comes to America and crypto 2.0. We're only 10, 12 years into crypto. You know, if you're starting the beginning with with um, Bitcoin and, you know, I don't know exactly how many years with Ethereum and transactional blockchain and smart contracts. So there's a long way to go and there'll be a lot of companies that don't work, but you're going to get some, oh, my God, winners. And, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, as awful as it's been, I talked about companies that we're going to look back in 10, 15 years, and there are going to be companies that were created. And, you know, the America 2.0 was going to come out of something that happens here. This is it. Now, Johnny, what's important about these statements here is he didn't directly mention Ripple or directly mention XRP, but he talked about how some of the most powerful companies on the planet come from these evolutions in technology. And Mark Cuban made his money in the early internet boom. So to see him jumping into crypto, it's no surprise. How do you feel about Mark Crypto? I mean, Mark Cuban's crypto statements. Is crypto America 2.0? Well, there's certainly some credibility to it. I mean, we we know that this is going to change the whole entire backend infrastructure, how, how things work in the world. So it's going to be more, it's going to be bigger than just uh, America 2.0. In fact, America's not even leading the effort. We're kind of falling behind it, to be honest with you. This may be World 2.0 in America, you know, 1.8, or we're, we're going to be slackers. But nonetheless, he is spot on that I do believe, and I've said this many times, and I actually, as far even as close as yesterday, that I believe there are going to be some new Amazon type companies coming out of this next batch of companies that are generating them, you know, for, for blockchain type stuff. So, you know, Coin, for example, I think will be probably one of the next big Amazons. And obviously Ripple could be a big player. I think there's going to be a lot of innovation here and innovation is going to lead to opportunity ads. So um, I do I do agree with Mark. He's spot on. This will transform America. It will transform the world. And those investing early in the right companies will be able to benefit from that. And remember, the investor of the company I want to make thing one thing clear. I want people to understand this, Abs. If you're investing in the cryptocurrency, you do not own the company. If you are investing in XRP, you do not own Ripple. If you want the benefits of Ripple, the company, as it grows in the future, you have to actually invest in the company Ripple itself. You have to be an accredited investor, and you can do that through Link2, and, and some of these companies are private. Coin, however, is a publicly traded company for Coinbase, and you could invest in that. So I just want to be very clear about that. 
Don't think just because you own the cryptocurrency that you own the company. You do not. They're two separate and two different things. Very important, guys. And when we talk about Ripple's IPO, that could easily be coming by the end of this year, depending on whether that lawsuit ends. Gonzo, we got 219 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And we showed our listeners an article yesterday discussing how the largest bank on the planet, or at least one of the top three, successfully migrated to ISO protocols. Well, what is happening right here is banks are now beginning to leverage crypto technology for faster payments cross-border. And this bank alone does over $400 billion in daily volume. Now, why am I showing our listeners this, Gonzo? Because a Ripple executive, Marcus Treacher, was appointed to the CHAPS board in 2016. So to see this bank become ISO compliant and have Ripple connections, it's really no surprise to me. But I did want to get your thoughts, Gonzo. How do you feel about ISO migration and the Ripple connections here? You know, I think it's super bullish. What's crazy, Abs, is so I was listening to... um, waters and the bearable bull they did a really long podcast and i think waters hit on something that was key that regardless of all these news for whatever reason retail is just not here right like you see it in the price action you see it on how weak the chart looks for xrp we keep talking about this we need to get above 60 cents so i don't know what it is right like you have all this bullish news all these things these partnerships but it just hasn't translated like retail i don't know if they're bored or they're all sucked up into the meme coins or what's going on, but it hasn't translated into volume and price action into XRP, right? And so I don't know if that has more to do with maybe people trying to invest like what Johnny's talking about into Ripple the company, right? And trying to make those moves, right? As opposed to XRP, but it just hasn't translated into volume or price action. And you can see it in the chart. The chart just looks very, very weak. We need to get above 60 cents or we're not doing anything right we you know we kind of barely broke i think 53 58 cents it was a candle wick and we came back down so for whatever reason retail is just not coming in to buy up the xrp now we could get something like a trigger right which could be the the resolution of the lawsuit that could finally get their attention maybe it's like the shiny object syndrome and then that retail money can start to come in and push volume up into the price action Absolutely, Gonzo. And you brought up a couple of key ranges there. But Johnny, when I look at the XRP price chart, this is what gets me excited. Clearly, we created a level of support above this 40 cent range. And what we're waiting for, like Gonzo mentioned, is a catalyst for growth. Once this lawsuit is over, we should see utilization with bank technologies like Bank of America, like JP Morgan, where they really start using this stuff for the purpose that it was built. But I do want to get your thoughts on Quant Network. Last night, I was doing a little bit of research. And guys, we are going to get into Bank of America and all the important articles for today. But there is only 14.5 million quant tokens in existence, and those are going to be used to transfer money between banks. Well, 100 of those are off the market, Johnny, because that's what I've been able to accumulate over the last three years. Maybe I shouldn't have shared that. Sorry, but that is the truth. I just wanted to get your take. As we look at Quant Network's adoption, Bank of England continues to come up, and they just migrated to CHAPS. How excited are you about Quant Network and the utility coming to fruition? Well, I mean, this... (laughs) I mean, for me, quant is always one of those that I know has to has to happen for the whole entire space to take off. So um, I'm excited for that, for that perspective that I think quant is going to be one of the guys that's in the lead to do that. And for me, the only way you're ever going to see true adoption is something like a quant or a link that's going to bring all the blockchains together. So we need that. It, it just we need something to do it. So for me, I, I, it doesn't have to be quant for me. Abs. I'm not married to any coin. I'm married to the concept of crypto as a whole. 
growing. I want to see the whole entire thing. Gonzo just talked about this. Like, why isn't anybody going to Ripple? Well, the reality is right now, you know, we talked to actually did a little training course on how the markets work. Before all this to start to happen, it all starts with the smart money. The smart money triggers this whole thing and they get it going. And then they bring the investor or their institutional buddies in. And then the last thing that you see coming in is retail. And so right now, what you're seeing happening here is just the smart money that either is, is getting in and kind of creating that flat baseline. It's They're not ready yet to send this thing. And that's why it hasn't gone, hasn't taken off. When they're ready, they'll draw in the retailers. They know how to do it. They're just not ready to do it yet. And that's why you're seeing a, you know pretty much flat price action there. So I'm not worried about that. That will sit there for a while. Johnny, um, one more thing before we get into our articles. Two currencies always come up when we talk about the Bank of England. First one's XRP and the second one is Quant Network. But you brought up another token, which is Chainlink. And Chainlink is actually working with Swift to upgrade their payment network. So why don't you give me your two cents on that currency? And then we'll get into some of the articles. Well, I mean, again, they're kind of very similar in terms of the, the interoperability aspect that they're going for. So you have a couple. So let, the way I kind of, the way I break it out whenever, you know, we, we help and we do one-on-ones with, with uh, you know, warriors, what I try to tell them is make sure you're looking at the sectors that are in the crypto space and then find out who the top two or three are and in this particular case, when you think about interoperability, the two big ones that I like are, are, are Chainlink and Quant. They're both trying to solve for that aspect of, of bringing all the chains together. So um, for me, you know, I don't know who's going to win this race. We know that they're both pushing and they both have good relationships. And therefore, Abs, I ain't no fool. I ain't going to bet on one or the other. I'm betting on both. I got both them horses in the stable. Uh, I think that's the way you have to play this game if you don't have insider information, which I don't have any insider information. So I'm just looking at what are the technologies that I think are going to be needed that are going to build the, the layers that are going to drive the whole back end of this entire system. And then you just want to stack a couple of those in your, you know, in your, in your, in your bags to put yourself in a position so that when these things take off, that's when you start to have an exit plan and you know when it's time to sell. Gonzo, I want, to, I want to get your thoughts as well. I'm going to read a brief paragraph and kick it straight to you. Swift partnered with Chainlink in a multi-billion dollar market to streamline the tokenization of asset settlement. This is a number, I mean, this is a word right here that continues to come up. When we listen to BlackRock, when we listen to JP Morgan, the tokenization of real world assets is what's going to fuel this market going forward. Swift has announced that it will partner with the prominent banks as well as Chainlink to experiment with linking private and public permissionless blockchains. The fact that they're going public with this, Gonzo, it gets me excited. I haven't accumulated too much Chainlink over the years, but it is a currency I am excited about. Why don't you close us out? How do you feel about Swift and Chainlink working to enhance payments? You know, I, I'm not surprised that we're getting bullish news on Link because, like, what do we say? Show me the chart and I'll tell you the news. And the way I've been looking at different altcoins is, like, they're different bull runs, right? And so what I'm looking at is, you know, I draw my trend lines and I see which ones are moving and which ones are closing. And so... With Link, it looks like it's about to pop off, just like Solana, right? Like, um, you know, I was giving Link to the community when I was at the bottom of the range. It's now approached the trend line. It's about to break it and test it to support. So I think we're going to get some positive price action in Link, right? And it was the same thing that I saw in Solana a few weeks back when I was building positions. And look what's happening with Solana, right? It's almost $21. I think it's going to continue to run. And so the same thing with Link. But yeah, when you talk about the tokenization of assets, it's the same thing that Larry Fink was just talking about when he was on Fox Business. He was talking about tokenization of assets, right? And so a lot of people think that it's going to be on the XRPL. Some people think it's going to be on Ethereum, right? So whatever play 
is in that game of tokenization of assets, like Johnny says, that's where you want to kind of build your positions and then we'll see which one wins at the end. Johnny and then, you know what, one more thing, Abs, like somebody was bringing up, they were talking about Ripple and then like investing. I don't know, have we, re we, ha have we released the thing with the Academy and investing? Okay, cool. Not yet. I, I won't say anything then. I won't say anything then. <laughs> awesome, Thanks boys. You guys. We yeah. got 302 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And Johnny Crypto, we're going to go through this Bank of America report, and I'm going to kick it straight back to you and Gonzo. Yesterday, Bank of America released a new report highlighting how payments are upgrading before our eyes, but American regulators seem to be clamping down on the market. What's really interesting about this report is they called Ripple the exception to the rule when it came to cross-border payments. In a recent report by Bank of America titled Breaking New Ground, Harnessing Payment Innovation in APAC, the role of Ripple Labs in the payment space in the Asia-Pacific market region has been acknowledged by Bank of America. The reports highlight the significance of blockchain technology in digitalizing trade documents and the potential of Ripple solutions in revolutionizing cross-border payments. Ripple is an exception, says Bank of America. Bank of America recognizes the transformative power and technology of RippleNet. And they understand that APIs have revolutionized connectivity as well as the transaction process for customers. While blockchain technology has played an important role in digitalizing trade documents and smart contracts, it's also had a massive impact on cross-border payments, but that has relatively been limited due to the dominance of regulatory bodies. America's Bank of America, or sorry, Bank of America acknowledges Ripple's potential as a possible exception within the cross-border payment space. In the cross-border payments, the work of Ripple is is a possible exception. Its blockchain impact has been limited. The reason for this is the rapid emergence of Swift GPI as a favored solution for tracking and favoring cross-border payments. So it's very fitting that we just went over Chainlink, Johnny, because they're, <laughs> they're highlighting the competitors here. Swift has partnered with Chainlink to upgrade payments, but in Bank of America's eyes, Ripple offers a much better solution. So you tell me, is this a big deal? Bank of America kind of giving Ripple the go-ahead for their product. What now? When was this article written out? What was the date on this one? Uh, this week. Okay, yeah. So that's a significant. I mean, kind of tells you that, you know, it's kind of what I suspected all along. You don't see Ripple being adopted by a lot of the other banking systems or, you know, in the U.S., the big banks. You're not hearing any of them talk about other than Bank of America. This is kind of refreshing to hear that Bank of America is kind of reinstilling their belief and confidence in Ripple. We know that they've been one of the few have partnered with them early on even i think submitted some patents with with ripple as a reference in there as well again doesn't mean they're going to use them but reference them i do believe that bank of america does have conviction when it comes to ripple and if they have any say in it they may end up going that path however i've said this from day one swift ain't swift swift was the the king of the hill for the past 60 70 80 years of this system they ain't going down without a fight Okay, the, the, you, nobody wants to give up a pile of money when they've owned it for the longest time. So no surprise here that Swift is going to fight tooth and nail to the end to salvage themselves, partner with people. This is why I really wanted to see a marriage between Swift and Ripple. That would have guaranteed Ripple success, but that never happened. So now instead of Ripple being a partner with them, they're going to be direct competitors. And Swift is already in with all the banks. Ripple has to unseat them. That's a very, very hard thing to do. So nobody's going to like that, but that's just the reality of it. You know, I just like to talk about the realistic things that need to happen. However, for it to happen, you need a few what we call champions in the industry to carry it along. And if Bank of America has that conviction and they're going to proceed forward with Ripple and the ODL system, that's going to bode very well to at least give Ripple a chance 
because that's one of the biggest banks in the world. And then what will happen is it'll be like a cold, right? They'll sneeze and somebody else will catch on. They're like, oh, you're using Ripple? Hey, we're going to use Ripple too. And that's how it kind of spreads. So we, we really need at least one big banking partner. And Bank of America would be a good one to, 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 to grab the reins of Ripple and run with them and run with their technology. So we should monitor this very closely. This is very, very important to see how this thing pans out. Gonzo, we often talk about an article that was released in November of 2022 from Bank of America. And within that article, they state they do plan on leveraging RippleNet once XRP is over. So while you're giving your two cents, I'm going to pull that up behind the scenes. What do you think about this new report from Bank of America? You know, I couldn't have said it better myself. Like Johnny hit like on all the comments, right? Uh, You know, the only thing that I could add to it is that, you know, there's a reason why Warren Buffett, who likes to talk hella shit about crypto, dumped most of his stocks and he went heavy, what? Into Bank of America, right? And so these guys, they talk a lot of smack, but behind the scenes, they put their, uh, they put their money, you know, their money doesn't match up what their mouth is saying, right? And so we always tell people, follow the money. But Johnny's spot on. You need somebody like a B of A to kind of run with this because I think that Ripple has a better tech than, than Chainlink does, like right? with their Oracle system and then how they do things. Um, I think that ripples faster, right? And when it talks to when you talk about payments, there's two things that you're gonna need. You're gonna need security and then you're gonna need speed, right? Uh, because like I've said this before, other blockchains are gonna be good for other things, whether those are documents, whether it's gaming, whether it's like metaverse stuff, like but for payments, you need security, scalability, and lots of speed, right? They want things done right now. Um, and so, it's good that Bank of America is promoting them. Bank of America has said, right? Like they're just waiting for this lawsuit to resolve itself so they can kind of run with what they want to run with. And then once B of A is signed on, like Johnny says, the other banks will kind of follow suit. You're going to have, it's going to be like this big competition thing and we're going to see who shakes out at the end, but why not invest in both, right? We talk about like I have Link and I have XRP, right? I can't invest in SWIFT, but I have Ripple too. And then we'll see who's going to win out at the end. And yeah. Bank of America isn't the only big name that's partnered with Ripple or at least working with them in front of our eyes. Ripple has forged partnerships with numerous leading financial institutions globally, including SBI Holdings, the Saudi Arabian Monetary Authority, Santander, Western Union, UAE Exchange, and of course, American Express as well. And we are going to get into an article in a little bit later where XLM is now being utilized by MoneyGram. So we're seeing tokenization happen on XLM and instant payments happen on XRP. Johnny, why don't you close us out for this section? Well, I mean, it just goes to show you that, there, like we said, there's not going to be one blockchain to rule them all. It's going to be a host of different technologies, um, and some will end up being the tokenization element. Some will be the cross-border payment solutions. Some will be interoperability. Some will be DeFi apps, smart contract solutions. Um, there's going to be a whole host of these different blockchains that run the entire world, Abs. And, and so for me, what's fascinating about the whole thing is how will the cryptocurrency element of it and price appreciation play into the adoption of the blockchain? That's what I'm monitoring and keeping an eye on to see what exactly does it take to drink. Because we're in a unique situation. We're not in the same situation. Like a, This is very different. Okay, When you buy a stock, Stock is owned by a company. A company does something. It earns profit. The profits are translated to an EPS, earnings per share. And then that translates into a price appreciation. Okay. It's very unique and different in the crypto space. It doesn't, if you own the company, it's not 
it's not related to the to the cryptocurrency itself per se. The cryptocurrency right now is being driven by smart money, institutional money, and then retail money. And that's it. There's no like valuation. It's not like, oh, how much did XRP earn last week? And what's the translation to earnings per share? It's a completely different game. And this is what everybody's trying to figure out is how do you pinpoint the valuation of an actual blockchain to its cryptocurrency? That, to me, is what is all trying to be worked out. What is the value of it? And, and what sets the price and all of that. And that's going to be something that I think the whole world is trying to figure out. I was like, why is Ripple based at 49 cents or 46 cents today? And what is it worth when the whole world is using it? And I shouldn't have said Ripple. I meant XRP. Um, so that's to me is going to be a very interesting translation of what they're going to use as the EPS uh, for crypto versus how they do it in the stock market. Because there's something called a PE price to earnings ratio and i assume there'll be some kind of pe from the worth of the blockchain to the actual cryptocurrency it runs on but nobody knows that yet it's not established we don't know what the p is we don't know how that's going to work that's where regulation can come in and help clarify some of this stuff johnny and this is an update i do want to get from you as well chaps which is one of the largest clearinghouses on the planet yesterday integrated iso payments into their platforms UK Central Bank has revealed its payment system had successfully been upgraded to the ISO standard. It's known as the Clearinghouse Automated Payment System, referred to as CHAPS, and is considered one of the largest high-value payment systems in the world, providing settlement, risk-free, streamlined, and irrevocable payments. This system alone is used to settle on average of £395 billion in daily value. You brought up something that I think we should mention. Now we're seeing the utility come to fruition. It may be 20 months. It may be two years who really knows? But at some point, banks are going to be buying this currency in order to facilitate payments. How far away from that moment do you think we are from your from your insight, Johnny? Oh, man, my my insight, we're, we're, we're several years away, I still think, before. This is just the beginning. Everybody needs to realize we're in the beginning and things don't skyrocket all the time in the beginning. I mean, look at the price of Amazon. When did it reach $3,300? It didn't reach it in 1997. And reached it in 2021. It was 27 years, 20 years later. So to me, these things have to mature and develop. And this goes back to what I was just saying a couple of seconds ago, is when this adoption comes and the blockchain is used, you just said something. The blockchain is used to facilitate $300 billion a day. Okay, but that doesn't mean the blockchain is worth $300 billion. This is what I'm waiting to see is how are we going to see what the translation is of, for example, what a blockchain may be doing or what value it may be unlocking um, and then how that translates to the actual price of the cryptocurrency. Because the reality is right now, most retail can only invest in the cryptocurrency. They can't actually invest in the company. So it doesn't do them any good if the company skyrockets and the currency cryptocurrency stays at 20 cents, right? Or doesn't move much. And so to me, this is the whole new dynamic of how we're going to tie the value of the blockchain to the cryptocurrency. Uh, to me, that is right now probably one of the most um, not clarified situations, right? For lack of a better word, that's still kind of misunderstood. None of us know how that's going to play out and how that's going to work. But to me, that's what's worth keeping an eye on apps because the value of the blockchain versus the translation to the cryptocurrency, well, that's what everybody cares about. We care about how high is the price going to go? Well, what's that based on? That to me, is a $64,000 question. Gonzo, open floor, my friend. What are you thinking? And then we'll move on. 
Yeah, I mean, I think Johnny's spot on. I think it comes down to like how the cryptocurrency is leveraged within the blockchain, whether it's gas fees, whether it's being staked, whether, you know, you're using it to move something or you need to like stake something to build a dApp or, uh, you know, there are also different use cases. And that's always been kind of like, I love Adam. I, I love the, you know, the multi-chain aspect of it, but that's always been the knock against Adam that Adam, the token itself, is not leveraged well within the blockchain, which is exactly what, you know, Johnny's talking about. And sometimes it's the dApps that are built. And I think that it was Quincy that had talked about this, right? That sometimes it's going to be the, the actual dApps that have more value, right? And so that's why I like on Adam, I like Injective, right? It, it, as as a, uh, an exchange and how it's built. Same thing with Stargate Financial that's built on layer zero. That's that same multi-chain thing. But it's, um, you know, it's a dApp that's actually built onto the blockchain, right? And then it leverages it, its token better, right, than the blockchain itself. So it all remains to be seen. But I think that Quincy was right when he was on the show and he talked about how some dApps will have more value than the underlying uh, blockchain itself, right? It's just, We're gone, you know, picking the right one. Uh, Gilbert Verdian put out this tweet yesterday, and I'm going to come back to the tokenization aspect of what you mentioned. The crypto market by the end of 2022 was less than half a percent of all financial markets. In 2022, the total regulated capital markets of debt and equity was $233 trillion, with a T. Crypto was only $798 billion. HSBC also stated that they see tokenization of regulated markets reaching $24 trillion dollars by 2027. This is from the CEO of Quant Network. And for anybody who doesn't know, he worked at the Federal Reserve. These conversations are happening behind the scenes way before they happen in public. So for Gilbert Verdian to put this out, Gonzo, does this get you excited about what Quant Network's doing for tokenization? Yeah, 100%. And if you, Gilbert Verdian, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't he the same run that wrote up the ISO? He's the one that wrote it up, right? Isn't he the same guy? I think he did. you don't know. I think he did. You get asked to chat, but I'm pretty sure he's the same one that read all the ISO like protocol. I think he had something to do with writing them up. And so that's why, like, when you look at quant, there's a lot of people that are in the space that stack quant. I think Billy's one of them, like other people stack Bitcoin, right? Like they think that we're that early and it has kind of like, obviously it's different technologies, but the same thing, the cap supply, a certain amount and the way that there's a utility there. And so a lot of people stack quant for that reason, and they don't really even look at the price. They're just like stacking it because they understand what that asset's going to do in the future, right? And it seems like, you know, they're, they're building a pretty good use case for the actual quant token, the way that it's leveraged when you're using quant and the connection points. Um, so, but like, it remains to be seen, right? Because there, there are other kind of like connection points like Chainlink and some of the other ones and some of the other just like blockchains are just multi-chain that are going to be able to kind of fill that role. So far, it looks like Quant is in the lead, right? Um, just in, in the finance space, just like Link is in the lead with all the dApps and the exchanges, right? It provides oracles, it provides data, and they were the first. So if you look at a chart of everything that Link is connected to, it's a lot, right? And so we're, we're kind of see, we're starting to see that with Quant when it comes to, to finance and, you know, they're into CBDCs and, 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 and all the other things that have to do with financial payments. So, well, you know, we'll, we'll see how it plays out at the end. 
Johnny, 24 trillion in tokenization is a very, very big number. And please stop adding that to the screen. One of the things I do want to ask you, Johnny, is Quant Network is very, very clear. They are working with the Digital Pound Foundation to create interoperability between the traditional banking system and the digital age that we are building right now. So I think personally, with only 14.5 million tokens in circulation, less than 1% is on exchanges. It's going to take very little tokenization for Quant's price chart to move up. What do you think? Before we get into this MoneyGram article with XLM, 24 trillion in tokenized assets. How long until we see it affect tokens like Quant Network? Well, I mean, you know, there's a difference between the tokenization of an asset and what the and what the the underlying blockchain is going to be worth. And I'm not so sure they're hundred. They're not related to that aspect. So I wouldn't look at it and say, you know, if we tokenize this many trillions of dollars, that that's going to flow into crypto. That's not, you know, that's, that's. But think about it this way. Let me just, because even if they tokenize it on private blockchains that aren't on top of quant, they need a certain amount of liquidity to make these transactions. If you're going to sell half a million dollar home, you need a half a million dollars worth of value on the network. Now apply that to an entire market. You're going to have trillions of dollars in tokenized assets. Yeah, you're right. All of that's not going to flow onto the blockchain. Right. But if you even need 1% of that to, for liquidity, quant's a billion dollar market cap right now. What's 1% of a trillion dollars? There big you go. So it's like, <laughs> you can easily see it 24x, let's say, in the next five years. Yeah, I mean, it's not inconceivable. I mean, there's no, there's no question about it that there's so much upside potential that's coming in and the liquidity that's going to be needed to drive this is going to flow into this market. And I think, you know, we've heard a lot of the pros say, that it looks like we're moving to somewhere in the range of 14 trillion, maybe that this market could be realistically to 20 trillion. So if you see the cryptocurrency space going from where we are today at 1 trillion, you know, with knowing that there's a, a 10 to 20 X in here alone is huge. And that money is going to flow through all these different channels of all these different blockchains. Right. And, and for me, then that's where you come into looking at, market caps and then what affects the market cap is the coin max supply and obviously with quant having such a low supply the price for it can go i mean i've heard estimates as high as ten thousand dollars for quant and i'm not saying it's going there but it's not inconceivable considering the low supply that it has whereas when you look at xrp you know people are seeing in the chat a thousand dollar xrp i mean for for xrp to be a thousand dollars you're talking like i think twenty I think you're talking either 10 trillion or a hundred trillion dollar market cap. It's just ridiculous. It's not going to happen. Right. Um, so, but getting to looking at realistic things, you have to first know how to break these things down. And it starts with knowing the max supply of the coin. And yes, that's what gets me very excited. Abs. Quant has a very low supply, which tells me if the money floods in and, and the market cap goes up on that, the price of the coin itself can, can appreciate dramatically from where it is today. And think about the low, low, low market cap. I don't know of any other token that only has 14.5 million tokens in circulation, but is in some of these very important conversations. And guys, we got 342 live listeners here on this Friday. Show us some love and smash that like button. It is Conspiracy Friday, and I've got a Dan Pena video planned for the end of the video. So you guys are going to really enjoy that. But let's get into this XLM and MoneyGram partnership because this is huge news from this morning. MoneyGram has announced that White BIT has become the sixth partner to join MoneyGram Access. Other services include Vibrant Lobster Circle, as well as Beans. That's pretty funny. MoneyGram, can act, MoneyGram Access is a MoneyGram product powered by the Stellar Network. The solution allows digital wallets and fintech applications to make money available to the unbanked. Customers can easily convert their physical cash into digital dollars, 
from their wallets and fintech applications. By integrating with MoneyGram Access, businesses can offer their customers low, cost-effective transactions using USDC on the Stellar network. We are seeing the worlds collide, Gonzo. Why don't you break it down? Is this big news for XLM holders that MoneyGram is beginning to utilize their currency? Yeah, you know, I think it is like Johnny is always saying, like, we need to see the actual use cases. We need to see them actually applying it and actually using it. And that's this, we're seeing that right in front of us, which seems like it, it kind of translated to some price action. Right. Because the XLM chart has been beat up like it has just been an ugly chart on a permanent downtrend. And it looked like we finally hit a floor. We were grinding and then we got a little bit of a positive price action, 20, 30 percent. We're kind of back down a little bit. So it seems like the chart is waking up. So yeah, like, again, it's one of these things where we get all these bullish news, but it's not translating well. And I think it's just because retail's not here, right? Like people are talking about institutional money and what's funding this Bitcoin run. We just need retail to come back in. But for those of us that are in the space and you believe in XLM, these are the times that you want to be dollar cost averaging, not financial advice. But when I'm dollar cost averaging in a project, is when it's beat up, it's bloody, no one's paying attention, no one's talking about it. That's when you want a dollar cost average because by the time it's mainstream like news and everybody's running with it and they're all talking about it and the price runs, those are not the times you want to get in. Those are the times where you want to be pulling profits, right? Uh, and so, um, but yeah, like, you know, I've been dollar cost averaging at XLM because it seems like, especially when you see like how the SEC has been attacking different cryptos, it seems like XLM has avoided all of that, right? So and, great. And so, so if you want to like put in, you know, if you're trying to be risk averse, right? Uh, it, it seems like a pretty good bet because they've left it alone. And what's funny about that is like, you look at Jeb McCaleb, right? Like he's been there for all these different points in history for the cryptocurrency market, right? He was there for Mark Gox, right? And he created it and it was kind of a shaky exchange, but before anything bad happened, like he dumped it, he, he sold it to that French guy, right? And then we ended up knowing what ended up happening there. And then he moved on to Ripple, right? And they built this thing and right before the SEC lawsuit, he moved on to XLM and now he's in XLM and he's avoided like all of this SEC drama. So he's either the Teflon Don, like Johnny likes to say, or he knows something that we all don't know, right? And so when you're looking at what you wanna invest in, not financial advice, but it seems like that's a pretty good bet with XLM. Johnny, I think it's important that we break down what happened between Stellar and Ripple nearly 10 years ago. Well, we got 345 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. For anybody who doesn't know, the reason that Jed McCaleb left Stellar was because of a girl. And Johnny Crypto is going to break that down. But here are some important details. McCaleb left Ripple in 2014 following a fallout with the company's executives. Ripple helped co-found the company Ripple way back before it was even sold. McCaleb left Ripple with his share of XRP, which equated to about 9% of the coin's total supply. He began to sell his tokens for the following eight years, dumping all the way until July of 2022. It bears mentioning that MoneyGram used to be a major partner of Ripple. The duo enjoyed an interesting collaboration for years, while Ripple invested huge sums in purchasing MoneyGram's stocks. The company used the blockchain company's ODL system as a solution for cross-border settlements backed by XRP. And we're going to break down how there's a possibility after this lawsuit, they begin leveraging XRP once again. But you break it down, Johnny. What really happened between Stellar and Ripple? And how do you think that plays into everything we're witnessing today? Well, I, you know, what I read was that there was an issue with one of the executives, the girl, right? So Jeb, I don't know, fell in love with someone that worked there and then he, she became his girlfriend and, you know, and she wanted to do certain things, certain ways. And 
he wanted to do another one and so on and so forth. So they went in two different directions and obviously there was some argument and they decided, hey, we're going to leave and go on. And so basically Stellar went, uh, uh, that's where he went and formed Stellar and pretty much he he was the inventor, him along with uh, Brito and Swartz created this technology. So he understands it very well and basically created a similar copy or, you know, copy and paste version of it to some degree. So they can do a very, very similar thing and solve a lot of the same uh, problems. So now the question is, who has the relationships? That's really what matters here. And we know that Jeb has been the Teflon Don, unfortunately, and Krypta seems to get hands off where the other two guys have been getting slapped around. So it kind of just leads me to believe that he has pole position, at least in some of the relationships. And that's why I think Stellar will find a place to play you know, somewhere along the lines. And as Gonzo said, rightfully below, it's been beat up so bad. Like this is the time. Literally, I was buying it myself at eight and nine cents. How could you not when it's sitting there at such a low rate? I mean, that's just to me a very, very good buying opportunity. I want to buy when nobody else wants to buy. Okay. I buy when, when the people are shitting on stuff and telling it's terrible and you don't want it. That's when I'm buying because that is when you get it for the cheapest, right? Abs and then you, you, you know, you look to see again, but you only do that with things that you feel have long-term viability potential in solutions. And, uh, and as mental access here too, you know, we've always talked about it, coach has too, that XLM would play some part of maybe bank to people, whereas you would see XRP playing bank to bank. And I think you're starting to see all that start to play out in front of us. Gonzo, it's unbelievable. Last night I was going through my portfolio just on coincidence, and I hadn't really checked my stellar value since the bull run. I mean, you know, you look at the tokens, you watch the prices, but you never see the hard number. 71 cents is what XRP's or XLM's peak value was back in 2021. Now we're at nine cents. And I think it's very clear none of that price action was driven by utility. So to see articles like this where utility is coming into play, it's very exciting for me. How do you feel about MoneyGram's partnership? as well as the split between Jed McCaleb and Ripple back in 2014. Actually, one more question, Gonzo. I remember everybody was talking about how once the selling pressure was gone from Jed McCaleb selling his billions of XRP, that was going to be a big catalyst for the price chart as well. So maybe you can address that. There was no big catalyst after he stopped dumping. What does that mean to you? No, it hasn't. And I think what it had to do is like, you know, Again, this goes back to the narrative things. People get mad at me if they want, but it goes into like like retail, right? Like the institutional money just isn't there. We see it in the price chart, right? You see it in the Bart Simpson heads. What is that? That is uh, like retail. That is retail emotion, right? Buying and then it goes up and they sell or they buy and then they sell. And, and it doesn't like the price chart looks like a Bart Simpson head. Um, and, you know, and, and it's been kind of the same thing with XLM. Like we didn't make a new all-time high. Um, and, you know, the only thing that worries me about it, and again, I, I'm invested, right? And so I'm taking that bet. But what, what worries me about it is one that didn't make an all-time high. And the other thing is this, is when you look at like all the different bull runs that we've had, the top projects and XLM was at the top. So was XRP. And I'm not saying that they're going away. What I'm saying is every cycle, we see a new narrative, right? We see a new technology that comes forward and you get the price speculation that kind of take the top spots. And so you can see, you go back to like 2017, even 2021, some of those top projects, they're nowhere to be found. And, and you're talking about like, I think it was, is it EOS? EOS raised, uh, what was it, like a billion, if not billions of dollars. And if you look at their total market cap now, it's like in the millions, right? There were a lot of projects that, and this goes back to Johnny's original point 
about the valuation. How do you evaluate these companies? These companies rolled out and they raised millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars back in the old bull runs. And now they're nowhere to be seen, right? They're still like alive, but their total market cap is a tiny percentage of the money that they raised, right? And so that's what we don't know. Um, I, I still think that, you know, XLM is here for the future, you know, because it's been here. But, you know, those are the kind of things that I think about when like I'm investing in how much money I'm going to allocate for a certain project or not, right? Johnny Crypto, check out this new patent as well, because the MoneyGram conversation using XLM, it doesn't end there. They were originally partnered with Ripple, and we've got a new patent to show our listeners published on uh, January 31st of 2023. MoneyGram International LLC filed a new document highlighting domestic policy. And what it states in here is that they're not going to try to be associated with anybody that is currently being sued by the SEC. So they're not saying anything like, after the lawsuit, we're planning on leveraging this technology, but they are saying if you're being sued, we're staying away. So my question to you, Johnny, is XRP has great technical utility. Why wouldn't XL? Why wouldn't they start leveraging it after the lawsuit? Well, I think after the lawsuit, they certainly would consider it. Why would? There's no reason why they wouldn't after, especially if it has clarity. To me, that would make perfect sense, and it makes perfect sense now why people want to stay away from it when it is being sued because of the uncertainty. So this is to me, unfortunately, the bad timing for, for Ripple and its technology is right now we're talking about and we're showing examples of these companies in the building process. They're building and they're testing and they're trying out these technologies, but some of them are staying away from it, particularly the, the Ripple, the XRP because of the fact that it's under lawsuit and they don't know what the outcome is going to be. And the last thing they want to do is spend two years designing a system, testing it, building it, only to find out later that they may not be able to use it, Abs. And that's why they're not going to, you know, that's the unfortunate part for Ripple uh, that in, in for all of us holders that I know for a fact, based on what you know, Brad talk, they have lost opportunities that could have of companies that could have been trying and testing it here in the U.S., and the amount of people that would be testing would probably be way, way more significant than it is now if it wasn't for this two-and-a-half-year lawsuit. That God help us, I hope it ends soon, so that once it does and the monkey is off their back, you will then start to see the companies who haven't started yet, because not every company has started, playing and testing in the space. They'll start to jump in, and Ripple will probably be one of their top choices to try out, especially when that lawsuit's over and if it rules in their favor. Gonzo, we got 363 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. There's another article I'd love to get into, but I got to tie what we were just discussing back to the clearinghouse news from yesterday. $400 billion in daily volume is going to be settled. And eventually, all of this is going to move from traditional banking into the blockchains that we're constantly referencing. Now, a lot of this money is going to be digitalized on private blockchains. So they can move this away from retail investors by not allowing us access, right? But the currencies that are on the open market will be what allows those private blockchains to communicate. So with that being said, how do you feel about all of this news? Will there be a day when we see Quant Network and Stellar and XRP moving specifically from clearinghouse utility? Um, I think so. I mean, the technology is there. We just need the adoption. Right. And so, you know, it, it's, it's just, it, you know, it's just hard to tell. Like all we can go on abs is like the development, the activity, is someone actually building on it, right? 
Because at the end of the day, if no one is building on it and if no one's using it, it doesn't matter if it's great technology, right? So you need kind of like this network effect that Raul Paul always talks about, right? You need all these things to kind of come together to push it forward. And, you know, back to what Johnny was saying, like the SEC lawsuit has cost Ripple dearly. I mean, forget about the $200 million. I think it's, is that $200 million now for the yep. lawsuit? That's peanuts compared to like what they lost in productivity, in, in the partnerships, in the, in the time that they've wasted where companies could have come in and built other projects, right? And other things. I mean, that has to be in the hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. They, they've been really set back. And so we're going to have to see once this thing gets resolved, if the partnerships start to flow in, we hope so, right? Because the technology is solid, right? The use case is there. It's just a matter of like where we are with regulation and, you know, do we not have clarity yet from Congress? And is it just Ripple that gets that clarity? Is it XRP that just gets that clarity? And it gives them a window in time to where they can get those partnerships going because there's still kind of this murkiness in the market or does this thing get drunk out and then we get actual regulation that comes in and gives clarity to everybody, right? Because I think that would set them not behind, but like now it's not like they have a lead and other people have to catch up, right? Because they're already trying to play catch up, if that makes sense. Now everybody kind of has that free space to run. So, you know, we have to see it all starts with the end of the SEC lawsuit and then where it goes from there. Johnny Crypto, there was a great quote we got from Raul Paul last week where he said, for the first time in human history, the retail investor has the opportunity to front run financial institutions in this technological age. Well, I want to play a quick video before I get your thoughts. Yesterday, the CEO of BlackRock, and I don't want to get shadow banned, so I'm not going to say his name, started to promote cryptocurrency and the way that big banks are going to utilize uh, Bitcoin ETFs and digital assets going forward. This man currently manages over $9 trillion worldwide. And some people say Elon Musk is the most powerful man on the planet. I think some of these shadow officials are actually more powerful. We're going to play this clip and go back to the group here. Here we go. And also, I do believe the role of crypto is, um, it is, it, it, it's digitizing gold in many yeah. ways. It's a, it's a, instead of investing in gold as a hedge against inflation, a hedge against the, uh, the onerous problems of any one country or, or the, or the devaluation of your currency, whatever country you're in. Um, let's be clear, Bitcoin is an international asset. It's not based on any one currency. And so it, it, it can represent an asset that people can play as an alternative. I would call, the, the foundation of BlackRock is about hope. You invest for retirement because you believe tomorrow is better than today. Johnny, one of the best debates we've had on our show is what would you hold for 10 years, Bitcoin or gold? Well, Larry Fink just kind of indicated, or at least he's telling retail investors, he would like to buy Bitcoin. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I did just want to get one question in. BlackRock officially changing their stance. Is this really the moment we've been waiting for, or are they misleading the public before a final black swan? Johnny Crypto's conspiracy on Conspiracy Friday. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, black swan, no black swan. The reality is, this is the moment where they have kind of cemented the fact that this is coming and that they're, this is where the narrative has changed. Now, now everybody's like, oh, flip-flop, Larry, and all this. And like the reality is we know how the game is played. That's exactly how it's played. Mark even told us the other day, Yusko, 
you know, you, you, you beat something down for a while while you're buying it. And then after you bought it, you, you know, you pump it up. And that's what you're seeing here. They're already in. They already own all the BTC they want to own where they own it already. And now you're going to see the narrative shift. So don't be surprised, guys. Just be educated. Be, you know, be, make sure you've learned how the game is played so you don't get played. So now the thing is, with Larry coming out and saying it, you know, the most important thing he said in that whole entire video clip abs was Bitcoin is an international asset. That's the most important part. Why? Because there's only been one other international asset that the whole entire world commonly uses. Right? And that was gold. Right. So gold and silver. And then and everybody has their own fiat currency. Nothing common about that at all. We haven't had something common. Since gold. So for 5,000 years, the only international assets everywhere, and maybe you could argue oil too. Okay, so oil and gold. But now you have a third one. The whole entire world grasping on the Bitcoin. I totally think it's going to be big. Most people, you know, I know don't like Bitcoin. That's fine. Whether you like it, hate it. I don't care. I don't personally like it or hate it. I don't look at any of these things as a like or hate. I look at it as something. Is it worth investing? Is it going to appreciate over time? And for the next 10 years, if I had a pick between the two, 100% I'm going into Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a baby. Gold is the old grandpa. It's the old, the, you know, the, the old guru. It's the 90-year-old. It's, it's the original Papa Gonzo, huh? Yeah, there we go. Right? Oh, yeah. my goodness. Gold, gold, doesn't, gold will still appreciate, but it has nowhere near the amount of growth and appreciation that Bitcoin has because Bitcoin's just getting started and the world doesn't even own it yet, a, a good chunk of it. So, Gonzo, so. give me the answer to this question, yeah. too. And, Johnny, I love that take. Will BlackRock file an amicus grief to support Ripple's motion against the SEC? Give me your take, Gonzo. To uh, uh, amicus grief for what? No, because I so BlackRock selected Coinbase as a surveillance partner and spot partner yeah. for their ETF. Do you think they'll actually file an amicus brief to support Coinbase against the SEC for selling unregistered securities? Um. Ooh, that's a good question. You know, they're, they have the partnership. I, I could see that, right? I could totally see them doing that, right? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I could see that. Look, he, here's the thing, dude. Like, you know what this is starting to feel like to me? And look, like, like Johnny says, people can agree, disagree, hate me or whatever. But Bitcoin for now is the energy of the market. And if Bitcoin breaks 32 and goes to 35, 37,000, it's good for XRP because XRP is going to run because – Bitcoin is going to bring liquidity into the market and it's going to flow down, right? And so we're going to see XRP probably finally break that 60 cent level if we can get Bitcoin to go 37,000. So that, that's why I pay attention to it, right? But you know what it's feeling? It's, very, it's feeling very toppy to me, very bull trappy to me, right? Like you got all these people that are getting very excited talking about cryptocurrency, talking about Bitcoin. And we know how the market maker or the elites, whatever you want to call them, work. Like, this is what they do, right? They've been buying. They were buying at 15,000, 16,000, right? And, 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 and saying all the negative things, now they talk positively of it. The price runs, people buy in, and they get trapped, and this thing rolls over, right? Because I still think that we're going to get a correction and come back down to some lower levels. I think it's at about twenty-five, no lower than 20,000, right? Because that's structurally where we have, like, really, really strong support. But it just, when you look at our emotions and what we're talking about, right, everybody's talking about the Bitcoin spot ETF. It's moving the price. That feels very toppy to me, right? Because the other alternative is to think that this time is different. 
and we're in a bull run and the price is just going to run and we're not going to come back down that we're just going to keep breaking. We're going to break all time highs. We're just going to keep doing that. And we just haven't done that. Can we do that at some point in the future? Sure. Right. Because it doesn't always repeat itself, but it often rhymes, but it just feels kind of toppy to me. And like the times to get in was when everybody was freaking out saying that it was going to 6,000, 3,000, not when they're talking about the spot ETF and this thing is going to maybe just run another five, six more thousand before it rolls over, right? And people get trapped. But that's the way that the market moves. That is the way the market is set up, right? To mess with your emotions and to trap you at these lower le- at these higher levels. So then when it corrects, then you panic sell and all you did was get wrecked and get bored and then you leave, right? That's the yeah. way it's set up. And something that's always made me uneasy about the adoption of Bitcoin is guys like Larry Fink, they're not just going to use the narrative. We don't know who Satoshi is, but don't worry about it. That never felt well to me. Either behind the scenes, they know who Satoshi is, they know who the founders are, or they're they're doing something they've never done before, which is backing an asset who they have no idea who really owns or created it. But Johnny, I'm going to kick it right back to you. We're going to hear from Dan Pena now. If there are children listening to this, mute the episode. Dan Pena drops a couple F-bombs in this video, so I want to warn our listeners. Here we go. If you knew who was really behind Bitcoin, really behind Bitcoin, you would run as fast as you fucking could to sell it. I know, 100%. If you knew who owned Bitcoin or who started Bitcoin you and you had Bitcoin, you couldn't sleep at night. I know, 100%. And when the real founder of Bitcoin comes out, it is my humble opinion and there's nothing humble about me, Bitcoin will go to fucking zero. And... Uh, microsecond like that well that's pretty much the gist of it johnny and who do i think he's referring to i'm gonna give my two cents i think he's referring to putin i do not know but when i read dan pena there was a couple months where i became obsessed with this guy i almost went and did his course up over in europe but then i figured out it's twenty thousand dollars to fly out there for a week so not not wealthy enough to go there yet maybe after the bull run johnny what do you think about dan pena then we'll kick it to gonzo He's not cheap. You know, I, I like Dan because he's comical to me. So he, he makes me laugh and maybe he does have some good points. Um, and But he's wrong. It's not going to zero. I don't think the world is going to top Bitcoin, especially when this SEC uh, approval comes from BlackRock for the ETF, the spot ETF. That's going to be game over. That's going to open up the floodgates. That's going to make it legitimized. Then you'll see a whole host of other ones come up. Then you'll be see a bunch of different kind of ETFs and Grayscale's already got a bunch and they'll start lowering, you know, maybe offering those to non-accredited investors once they get all the proper disclosures. So I, I think he's wrong. It doesn't matter whether Putin created it. You asked a question earlier. You said, um, you know, do they know who created it? Of course, the big boys know who created it. They don't care. I mean, this is already it's already set in motion to do something. I don't know what the something is, but they're they're pushing it and it's going to come. It's going to happen. And ain't no way to do it. But Abs, I know we're getting close to the end of the show, and I know we may extend it. I don't know if you want to find out if people can stick around, put a one in the show if you want us to go. Yeah, no, over. we're gonna play the smartest way to track your crypto, John. No, 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 that's all right, Bob. Just saying, if you want us to go over it, you know, put a one in the chat. If you can't, if you don't, put a two in the chat. We typically cap it at fifty-nine and a half minutes, but you know, I think that you know, the, it doesn't matter. I think at this point, who made it anymore, because. And not saying that it shouldn't to people. I'm not saying it shouldn't matter to you. What I'm saying is to the people who are pushing the narrative forward, it doesn't matter to them. They're going to drive this narrative forward. And the rest of the world that's not paying attention, remember, 5%, guys, you are you are in the 5%. There's still a big chunk of people that are going to flood into this space 
And when they flood into this space a year from now, the ETFs are already going to be approved. It's just going to be to them. It's like, oh, BlackRock has an ETF. That's it. They're not going to say, oh, it's a Bitcoin. You know, Bitcoin was created by some guy, this Satoshi Nakamoto. And nobody, nobody's going to do that kind of research. They're just going to say, oh, it's in fact, most people, their 401k is just going to have it in it. Or their advisor yeah. will say, oh, yeah, put some in this. And they're just going to do it. Let me so, ask you something. Let's ask the live chat. I'm going to cut you off, but I want to ask the live chat this question. Do you believe, put a one in the live chat if you believe Dan Pena. Do you think Dan Pena actually knows who created Bitcoin? Because if Dan Pena does, Larry Fink, all these guys do. So if you think Dan Pena knows who owned Bitcoin or who founded Bitcoin, put a one in the live chat. If you think he's talking out of his behind, put a two in the live chat. But Gonzo, at the beginning of the episode, you did a phenomenal breakdown of who you believe Satoshi could be. I'd love for you to elaborate on that here. Yeah. So again, and, and it goes to like what I lean into, but like, again, like if you, you got to put yourself in the context of history and you can go back, it's all open source, right? So it's not like, I, I don't know if it's that we forget or people don't do the research, but you can read in all the boards. One person did not create this. It's not a secret that multiple people created this. Like when Satoshi, he was the original one to put all the ideas to pull from, you know, uh, to like what DigiCash was trying to do and what Bitgold was trying to do. Now, when you look at Bitgold, which is what Nick Sable created, and you compare what like Bitcoin is at the inception point and what Bitgold was, it's the closest match that we have, right? And so whoever created it, they must have been part of the inner circle of the cyberpunks, right? Because they, they were the ones, no one's in the space. No one knew what they were talking about. They were on these private boards and they were sharing these ideas and so Satoshi was the first to kind of take the different ideas and turn it into one, but he didn't do it by himself, right? Hal Finney had a lot to do. And, and, and Justin brought it up too with, um, Ga was it uh, uh, Anderson, right? He was like the last one to talk to Satoshi. And if you look at the message, it was like Satoshi checking out, basically telling him, hey, it's yours now. You run with it. You make it what it needs to be, right? It is, it is morphed and it's changed. There is different people that have come in and, and modified the code and perfected it. So there is no one person, right? There are multiple developers that came in and perfected this thing and turned it into what it became. And so I just find it funny that I, I don't think, you know, if they knew, bro, if he knew it would be out, right? Like no one could keep a secret like that, right? Like it would be out, right? If he knew or some of these Except other people the that say they knew, <laughs> right? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, think about it. Like she gets like, like leaked all the time. Like if he knew, it, like he would have told the family member, he would have boasted about it and, it and it would have gotten out. But that's just my opinion. Like Johnny says, at the end of the day, I think that people have short-term memories. And I think that the people that come into space, they do like a certain kind of research. And I, I don't think they really care, to be honest with you, right? They're, they don't take it as deep as some of us do. And I think that they just see where the price action has gone and, and how it survived. I mean, we talk about the Ripple lawsuit, but when you look at Bitcoin and what it survived, like you look back at Silk Road and Robert Ulrich, right? That wasn't about what, you know, prosecuting him. It was about prosecuting Bitcoin. Like he was arrested in San Francisco, right? The, the servers for Silk Road were outside of this country. Why did they prosecute him in New York City? Because it was the finance capital, right? They had, to sh they had to prove a point. They were trying to put Bitcoin down in those days, right? Same thing with the guy from, I don't remember his name, but BitInstant, right? BitInstant was a, a company that was created in the beginning days where you could buy Bitcoin on Mt. Gox. It was in Japan. So it took days, right? It took three or four days for you to be able to buy Bitcoin. And in that time frame, you have volatility in the price action. 
So this guy creates a company called BitInstant. And what he did was he had money on the exchange and he would sell you Bitcoin. It was instant, right? And so how did they take him down? It turned into this big company. But why did they take him down? They took him down because they charged him with money laundering, drug trafficking, and all this stuff. And all he basically did was he sold Bitcoin to a guy named the Bitcoin King who sold Bitcoin to people that used it on Silk Road for nefarious reasons, right? So he wasn't drug dealing. He wasn't money laundering. It was one person that they took him down for. He had thousands and thousands of customers, and it was one that took him down, and it was going to put him in jail. And mm. so he literally bought – he sold Bitcoin to another person who sold Bitcoin to other people that used it to buy drugs. That would be like me, Abs, going to JP Morgan or going to the bank and saying, hey, I'm going to go buy some heroin. I need $20 out of my uh, account. Are, are the tellers going to stop me from getting $20 out of my account or $100 or whatever it is? Do we go arrest JP Morgan even though they know that cash is used for nefarious reasons, that it's used for money laundering, that it's used to do hits, that it's used for prostitution, that it's used to buy drugs? Does JP Morgan get in trouble for selling you cash or giving you cash? No, they don't. So what that was, was that was a straight up attack on Bitcoin, right? And so it survived a lot of things and, and, and we have what we have today. So it survived all of this stuff. And I absolutely don't think it's going anywhere and it's not going to zero. Completely agree with you guys. If you like that breakdown from Gonzo, show us some love, smash that like button. Gonzo's the Ethereum expert in our group, but he's slowly becoming the Bitcoin expert as well. And I'm excited to show our listeners a video in XRP Las Vegas. This is some shocking news for our listeners this morning. At XRP Las Vegas, I was lucky enough to interview two men who work for Expector. One of them was Bob Way. The other guy's name was Dirk, and I can't remember his last name. They had some groundbreaking statements about Ripple and the relationships behind the scenes. And we're going to close this episode out with a video. But before we do, here's the smartest way to track your crypto. Have you gotten wrecked in the crypto market space or watched your crypto portfolio go all the way up and then all the way down without taking profits? If so, it's probably because you didn't have an exit plan. The good news is that doesn't need to happen anymore thanks to a new and innovative crypto tracker called Merlin. It's the smartest way to track your crypto. Merlin brings all your coins into one place so you can see all your assets across the different exchanges on one screen. You can see your total portfolio value and more importantly, your daily gains, losses, and total since inception. Merlin puts the power back in your hands so you no longer have to guess what your portfolio is doing on a daily or monthly basis. Most importantly, Merlin lets you create an exit plan and sends you notifications when your targets are reached so you no longer have to get wrecked in the marketplace. Go to MerlinCrypto.com, that's MerlinCrypto.com, and sign up for our free 30-day trial and get on the wait list so you can receive an email when the product is launched. Don't miss out on this new and innovative app, Merlin. It's the smartest way to track your crypto. Guys, it's the smartest way to track your crypto. One of the comments that we got underneath our video yesterday was, what is an exit plan? That's what Merlin's all about. You can log into our application and you set price targets to take on your cryptocurrency. If XRP goes to $1.40, there's going to be a group of people who are just getting excited while the smart investors are beginning to take profit. What we're trying to do is show our community how to take profit during those times. And you can sign up 30 days absolutely free down below, guys. So go check out our product. We'd love to hear your feedback. With that yeah. being said, I'm going to show you a very interesting video. This is from one of the most powerful projects built on the XRPL, Expector. They are building an interoperable metaverse that can communicate cross-platform seamlessly. And this was supposed to be built on XRP, but now we've got some big news to report here. Building on the XRPL, and let's be honest, there are only a few that have 
commercial viability. And I try not to sound too frustrated, but if you guys know what we have done with a big team and how much we invested, and then the recognition that we ask to one big, big player and not getting it and seeing that they support all kinds of total useless shit, that's mind-blowing, mind-blowing. And I'm running a company with 50 people. I'm paying them every month out of my own pockets. And I think with Bob and Neil, we have really something good going on. We get grants from HBAR. We get grants from XDC, chains where we're not even building on. And let's be honest, the centralized authority on the XRPL refuses to even give us a tap on the shoulder. Well, fuck them. Wow, I'm pretty much speechless after that video. So guys, I've, I interviewed Dirk. Dirk is very, very level-headed, one of the smartest guys in the space. And when you talk about developers, these guys, Bob Way and Dirk, are some of the best developers on the planet. What they just announced yesterday is that because of the internal relationship they have with Ripple, I don't know what official specifically, but Ripple denied them grants, whereas HBAR and XDC gave them money to build on the XRPL. Very interesting. Gonzo, I'm going to start with you. Yeah, dude. I, I mean, it was crazy. This is the first time I've seen this story, but, and, and I don't, you know, I don't know what's going on with it, but again, I'll go back to this is the narrative thing, right? We look at these things and like Vitalik is evil, you know, Brad Garlinghouse, everybody loves him. Right. And, and, and Vitalik is a terrible like CEO, but he's a developer, right? He's a great developer, right? That, that's what his use case is. Brad Garlinghouse seems like an awesome CEO and a businessman. But at the end of the day, we don't know these people. Like we get invested in these communities. We get invested in these narratives, but we don't know what's going on behind the scenes, whether it's Ripple, whether it's another company or, or, or what's going on in the internal dynamics, right? And, and I, can direct, I can relate that to kind of price action. And you've said this before, Abs, we were talking about this before the show, where you need to be appreciative. Like I talked about the XRP chart and when the, let's say XRP right now with the resolution lawsuit goes to $3, there are people that are, that are not going to sell that are going to continue to hold on. They're going to not pull profits. They're going to watch the price go up and they're going to watch the price go back down, right? Because of this tribalism, because look, community is all good. At the end of the day, I want XRP to do all the things that we think it's going to do, but you got to pull profits, right? Don't get sucked into these narratives and then just like marry these things and then miss these opportunities where if it goes to $3, you can make a significant profit and you know it's going to come back down, right? It's not going to just take off. It's going to roll over come back down, test some type of support, 40, 50 cents. And if you're a believer, you buy back in and then you play it again, right? Waters talks about this all the time. When he was pulling profits at $1.30, he got persecuted. But at the end of the day, that was the high and he made money, right? And that was the point. And then when it went back down, he was able to reinvest. And so I just say that like, we can't fall into these narratives. Don't marry these companies or these tokens. You're here to have an investment thesis and you need to trade your investment thesis and not get sucked into all these different narratives. Yeah. You know, there's certainly some truth and value in that. Um, you know, I do want to say this though, just as Putin had an exit plan, so did Expectar apparently is they got the hell out of Dodge, but abs, this is actually a very critical fav, not fatal flaw, but a, 
a big blunder on Ripple's part. They should not have denied them that. Expectar, you know, first of all, Bob Way worked there. They had a relationship there. Secondly, Expectar has a really good product. I don't know if you guys have checked out their graphics on their metaverse stuff. Looks fantastic. Third, they were putting a lot of money and effort into building something on that platform. If all they wanted, and I don't know what they asked for, but if it sounded like what he was saying is they just wanted like some kind of endorsement. Why Ripple wouldn't come out and do that makes no sense to me because now they lost a potential, you know, a developer that was going to develop on their platform and grow it out who had a lot of money into this space. To me, it's just a major, major tactical error that Ripple just made. Why they do that? Oh, man, it's mind-boggling to me, but I don't think that bodes well for the X. You know, as you're trying to start a business up, you need a couple good players on their plane, and it sounds like they had one, and now they lost it. Not good. Not, not good, in my opinion. Bad tactical move. Johnny, I want to get some of your thoughts here. I love Brad Garlinghouse. I mean, I love is a strong word. I really, really like Brad Garlinghouse. Uh, I've watched him for about five years now, so I do feel like – I don't feel like I know him, but I feel like I know what his objectives are. And I wouldn't say all of them are good for humanity. I'm going to go out on a limb here. Obviously, I'm an XRP maximalist. I create the thumbnails for these videos. You see it every day. But one of the things that we love to mention about XRP is they are working with the World Economic Forum. And this is a video that I really think our listeners should see because one of the lead advisors for the World Economic Forum is talking about the role of humans after the digital revolution, here we go. And then the big political and economic question of the 21st century will be, what do we need humans for? Or at least, what do we need so many humans for? Do you have an answer in the book? Um, at present, the best guess we have is uh, keep them happy with drugs and computer games. There you go, guys. They're pretty much telling you what... I don't care. They're telling us what they want. They want you on the computer games. They want you on the stuff that makes you not conscious anymore. We're not going to fall for the games here. And we got 334 live listeners joining us. Thank you for supporting this channel, guys. Show us some love and smash that like button. There's a lot of news to get into, Johnny. I got one more story, but give me your thoughts here. We like to call Brad Garlinghouse a good guy. Vitalik Buterin's a bad guy. Well, these are the people that Brad Garlinghouse has partnered with. What does that say about his character? Yeah, you know, I'm going to hop into that second. There was a request here to say we should do uh, Twitter spaces. By the way, guys, we are doing a Twitter spaces. We got one coming when abs this week, I think Sunday night, right? Merlin Twitter Spaces, come on and join us. But um, you know, the funny thing you said something that's interesting, right? You said I love Brad Garlinghouse, and and I say it all the time. I love Brad Garlinghouse. The reality is, you and I don't know Brad Garlinghouse from a hole in the wall. Okay, we don't know shit about Brad Garlinghouse. We know what we like about Brad is when we hear him talk. He's a smooth talker. He's cool. He's calm. He's a collect. He's a cool cat. And that piece of it we like about Brad. But let's face it. Let's be honest with you. You know, we don't know Brad's intentions. We don't know if he's a good guy or a bad guy. Um, we don't know how he operates, and we don't know what his agenda is, none of that stuff. So we can't come here and say other than other than what we just see of how he, uh, you know, displays himself. So with that said, for me, you look then at the actions that the company's taking. And to me, a guy like Bob Way, they were friends. We saw them shake hands that night, Abs, when we were there in XRP Vegas, and to not hook a friend up or to like kind of kick him out. You know, somebody said, Oh, it's chump change. Don't worry about it, Johnny. Let XRP, let XR, you know, expect or go, you know, chump change or not, whatever it is. The point is they were building something on their platform. The guy's got 50 employees that he's paying. You're paying 50 people. That ain't chump change. That's a lot of money. 
That's a big chunk of money. We're talking probably multi-millions of dollars that they were investing on that platform. And, and to throw that just away when you're trying to get something started, that's not what I would do if I were running a company. So to me, at the end of the day, abs, a decision like that, I think, you know, you know goes all the way up to, to Brad and you got to hold him accountable. Like, why, why are you doing this? Why are you letting these, these things happen? So nonetheless, uh, to me, I want to say that, you know, I like Brad, but I, I don't know if he, if he, if he's always making good decisions and how this is going to play out in the long run. But, uh, so that's my, that's my eight cents. Gonzo, you know, I'm kicking it straight to you, but I want to get the live chat involved as well. Guys, if you trust Brad Garlinghouse, put a one in the live chat. If you think he's just like Klaus Schwab and the rest of these guys, put a number two in the live chat and I'm going to report on it in five minutes. But Gonzo, what I am showing our listeners on screen right now is the World Economic Forum's website. And they are talking about Brad Garlinghouse being on the board of directors. I'm going to ask you the same question I just asked Johnny. What does this say about his real character? It, again, I, I, it, you know, it goes into the narrative things, right? What I was talking about, how we love people, we hate people, right? And so I just try to look at it is, is he a good CEO? And it appears to be that he is, right? He's a good CEO and he's good for Ripple, the company. But I have to keep in mind that he's going to do what's best for Ripple, the company, right? And I had said this way early on when people were like championing Ripple and the SEC lawsuit that at the end of the day, He's not going to do what's best for crypto. He can try to say that and try to like gain favor by that. But at the end of the day, he's going to do what's best for his company, just like all of them are going to do that. Right. And so that's what makes me want to invest in Ripple, the company. Right. Because I see the direction that it's going. I see the partnerships that are building. I can foresee the IPO and where this is going. Right. And that's why I want to invest in that. We'll see how that translates to XRP. But that's why, like, you know, I try to keep emotions out of it and narratives out of it, right? Whether Vitalik's a clown, but he's a great developer, or you love Brad, or you love Charles, right? Char Charles, some people, like, Johnny loves Charles, right? He's a very good developer, but he also is, like, he seems like he knows how to talk to people, right? He knows how to carry himself. He pisses off the XRP army, but, like, I can see him going to Washington and knowing how to move within those circles, right? And so does that translate well to, like, ada i don't know dude right like if ada was a company like ripple was i'd be all in on that right but we just don't know how it translates into the blockchain you can only look at him as like is he a really good developer and is he and is he like helping to develop and i don't even think he does that anymore for ada right he's more of the spokesman he's not like behind the scenes as a coder right um and so just you know all we can do is you know look at these things uh without emotion and and look at the actual like underlying technology is it being developed is there an actual use case um is there something there for the future and then make your investment thesis based on that as opposed to like is brad garlinghouse a good speaker or not that has to do with more are you going to invest in the company or when they do an ipo and they go public are you going to invest in that stock those are the mm. things that you're looking at johnny crypto i got a report on this poll so 17 people said they did not trust brad garlinghouse only six people said they do. So that's some pretty surprising poll answers right there, especially from our community, because we are, we're an XRP community. That pretty much tells us 
even our own investors don't necessarily trust this company when it comes to what they're promoting from an agenda standpoint. I do want to read one more thing. Johnny, there is a big club and we're not in it yet. That's right. Yeah. By the way, Abs, I have to set the record state before you move on. Just because God's has got a guy already got everybody in the chat over here saying that. All right. So Johnny does not love uh, Charles. Okay. Johnny likes the ADA technology and likes what they're doing there. I don't know Charles any more than I know Brad Garlinghouse or anything. Uh, Charles, Charles is just to me, you know, I like his, I like the way he, you know, is honest and just says gut feel, but I don't love any of these guys just for the record here. It's just one of those things where you, when you're, when you're investing in something as Gonzo rightfully said, you're looking at the leadership of something. And that does affect, I think, abs people's um, decision-making, whether they want to invest in something or not. And that's important. And if you don't like, uh, somebody, you know, then, then you don't invest in their technology if you want to play that game emotionally. For me, I'm not in any of these games emotionally. I'm in these things technically. I'm looking at what do these things have technical real-world solve solutions, right, that could create generational wealth for my family. And that's that's pretty simple, cut and dry. So who's running these companies and how it's going? Yes, that matters from that perspective to you have a good leadership thing running. But whether I love or hate the guy, if, if I hate him, if I think the technology is good, I may still invest in it. How many of you guys love Vitalik? Not very many, but a lot of people own ETH, right? So there you go. That's can, I, can I ask something right now for the chat right here? Let me ask you guys this. If we didn't have the investor rules that we have right now, and today you could buy Ripple stock pre-IPO, put a one in the chat. How many people would take a chance and invest in Ripple right now if you didn't have to be an accredited investor? And let's see how it plays out. Great Absolutely. Question. Johnny, I got Johnny yeah. I'll, I'm going to update you in like two minutes once we get feedback. How are you going to talk about how Charles is a good guy and he's honest with the community when he's putting out tweets like this? XRP provides no partnership or technical value. We discuss it all the time. I'm not putting you on the hot seat here. No, no, no. Because keyword, I never said he was, see, this is the mistake you're all making. I never said he was a good guy. I said, I like the fact that the guy who developed Ethereum and knew where the skeletons were and the problems in that technology created a new company to solve for that. That's all I like about Cardano. That's it. That's been very consistent. That's why I like Cardano. That's it. And when I say Cardano, I like Cardano, the technology. I like the fact that he has an ability to go and solve for that. In terms of Charles himself, I like the fact that he just comes out and says what's on his mind. I like that about him. Never say he's a good guy. Never say he's a bad guy. I don't know if he should go to bad guy. I don't know nothing about him other than what his response was here to you when he was emotional and pissed off. And we already got the ruling from Judge Turret that said when he made this statement, he was saying it specifically to his company and not to the world, you know, not, not to XRP in general. So this case is closed. Slam that door shut. Let's move on to the next stop. Yeah. One more thing. We can't move on quite yet. Elon <laughs> Musk. Elon Musk is close friends with Charles. This isn't bad. So it's actually, I just wanted to get your thoughts. Is that a factor here? I mean, Elon Musk, you saw, all he has to do is tweet about Dogecoin. The price moves. He's a friend of Charles. Do you think there'll be a day where we see Elon Musk maybe even mention the Cardano token? Oh, that's a good question. Abs. I mean, hard to say. I mean, I, nobody could seem to understand what this, this affection that Elon has had with dog coins, right? Or meme coins, right? He's had this big thing on Doge and then Sheeb and like all he has to do is mention them and you're right. And, and you know what that should really tell you? 
It should tell you that that's how fickle and retarded some retail investors are. That one guy, Elon Musk, names a coin and everybody runs to go buy it. And then it just pumps and dumps. Like, why would you put yourself? <laughs> well, like, like, I don't know. I, to me, I just, that kind of stuff, I don't want to be the guy that gets manipulated in that mess. So whenever he goes and starts pumping stuff, to me, it's already too late. If he's mentioning it, you're just going to be caught in the fray. It's not worth it. I stay away from all that stuff. I told you I look for utility real world solved cases. I don't see how she and, and, and Doge and all those other ones do that. Now, these guys are going to try to create utility for them. But just understand when those coins were created, when they were created, there was no utility behind them. A meme coin means it's just literally just a, an image of something, right? There's no utility. Can it be converted to some kind of utility? Well, somebody has to take it and do something with it. Whereas XRP, when it was created, it had a specific use case and solve that they were trying to solve for. And that was cross-border payment solutions, right? So that's what I mean by solve, something setting out to try and solve a real-world utility versus something you just put out as a joke and somebody adopts it and then it takes off. I don't, I have no time for that kind of stuff. I'm not, you know, you know, abs at the end of the day, everybody just needs to ask themselves, why are they here? Right? Why are you in this space? Are you here to make money to gain wealth? Are you here because you're looking for something outside of the fiat system? Whatever the reason is, you need to really ask yourself, why am I here? Why do I love crypto or why do I love digital assets? Why am I investing in these? And when you answer that question, Act accordingly, right? Everyone's going to have a different answer and your investment thesis can follow that. But you really need to find out first, why are you here? Because if you don't even know why you're here and you're just kind of kind of following different narratives, then I think at the end of the day, you're just going to get wrecked, right? So ask yourself, why are you here? Are you here for some kind of, um, kind of ethos that you believe in? Then follow that ethos, right? If you're here to make money and to try to gain some wealth, then that's how you should invest, right? And everybody's going to be different. But answer that question first and then run with that. Also, and we got a ton of resounding ones in the live chat. I didn't see a single number two. So almost every single listener would be willing to buy that Ripple IPO if they had access. Uh, you're muted, bro. Yeah, and and they just said they don't like- No, the, Mentelec the said too. And they oh, don't like- but no. But I love Mentelec. My Mentelec said too. But think about this. The majority of people said they don't trust the CEO, but every single one of them said they'd buy it. There you go. There yeah, you go. but yeah. And, and, you know, and that's right. I mean, at the end of the day, if you believe in the technology, then that, that's one approach, right? Is you're going to invest in something you believe in. You don't have to like or love the guy at the top. It doesn't hurt if you're doing it. He's transparent and he's honest and all that. But again, most of us are never going to know what these guys are really, really like behind the scenes. Johnny, the XRP price chart is something I want to briefly mention right now. It has been coiled up for quite a while. And anybody who was in this market in 2017, the XRP price chart went from a fraction of a penny to $3.80 in only 240 days. Now, what is that from a percentage gain standpoint? That is 70,000% gain on every single dollar. So what that means for anyone who doesn't understand, you invested $1 into XRP, 240 days later, that was worth $7,000 and history doesn't repeat, but it often rhymes. Now, that's not the most important thing. Here's something even more important. There is a woman out there named Ashley Prosper who's working on a Freedom of Information Act request. She's trying to figure out the communications that the SEC had with JP Morgan before suing Ripple. Well, what did we find out this week? She gave us a really important update. The SEC has responded to my Freedom of Information Act request. 
Unfortunately, they have decided to withhold 201 out of the 217 documents that they say were responsive to my FOIA. Unsurprisingly, the documents they did release are benign in nature, just some financial information that doesn't appear to be related to my FOA at all. The fight will have to continue. Though the documents I got aren't revolutionary, I can still post them if you would like to see them. Let me know. So pretty cool. I, I don't know where my mind goes. I'm going to start with Johnny because I do think that they were communicating, but I never think there'll be a day where they're held accountable. So you give me your thought. Yeah, I, I have to unfortunately agree with you. You know, most of these people are not held accountable. So <laughs> deleted emails, this guy's so true. Uh, you know, that's the whole point of a FOIA request is you're supposed to get all that information out. And if she's saying she only out of 217, uh, they held back 201. I mean, she really didn't get any of them or not that many. So it makes you wonder what's going on. What's the point of a FOIA request if you if you can't access the, the documents, right? But I do believe, I do agree with you, Abs. Uh, I, I don't think we'll ever see, see yeah. any, any consequence. Yeah. I mean, all you have to do is see what happened in 2008, right? Has anyone gone to jail for exactly. the financial crisis and everything that happened? Nobody, right? Nobody's going to jail. So I, I don't think anyone's going to go to jail. I have to go, but I just wanted to say something real quick. You know, shout out to Mentelec. I love him because he always pushes me to like learn more and more and more. I love our back and forth. And uh, yeah, and just I appreciate everybody in the chat when they question us. It's not like anything negative because all it does is make us go out and try to learn more and more. And sometimes they change our opinions, right? That's how you grow and that's how you learn. So Mentelec, I appreciate you and I love you, bro. We do appreciate you, Mentelect, Susie. There's a lot of people. I can't go through all of our listeners, but we wouldn't do the show if we didn't have people like you guys out there. And to end this episode off for today on this Friday, first of all, 330 live listeners, show us some love and smash that like button. FedNow system is going live, and here's the most important update on their product. Briefly, real-time payments, instant payments have been around for quite some time. Uh, actually, if you look at a timeline of when this all started globally, uh, Japan started in 1973. Uh, and there's multiple countries from that point up until now that have signed up for faster payments. The United States is really one of the last major countries to sign up for this. But it's been around for over 40 years, over 50 countries. Uh, and as Mahal pointed out, Finestra has been involved globally with all of these initiatives, implementing different faster payment schemes everywhere. I think one of, one of the key points to try to take away from why you want to be involved in faster payments, uh, I think this is going to accelerate growth dramatically. Uh, once you're on a system within the United States in the FedNow environment, uh, it will create interoperability between the countries, between cross-border systems. Johnny, this is the first step where the banks are saying, we're not launching a CBDC, but what I've studied when I'm reading these documents, because I'm preparing for this Merlin Spaces, we're going to have Sunday night, 8.30 p.m. on Twitter. Come and join us for the Merlin Twitter Spaces. I'm going to be doing a deep analysis on FedNow. One of the things I've learned in reading these documents, the private documents, the boring ones nobody wants to read, Johnny, mm -hmm. is that they do plan on making this system not only cross-border, but interoperable at some point. So this is just the first step towards the CBDC, regardless of what they say. There's one more thing. It just slipped my mind. So give me your thoughts. And I'll, I'll chime in. Well, I think you're spot on abs. I think this is, you know, they just, it's always about they're stepping stones to get to where you want to go. Right. And this is just step one to get to where we're headed. We've all told you that's where we're going CBDC and folks will get used to it. Um, and so as we get, as we move up those stepping stones to get there, uh, I do think that you're going to see, you're going to, you're everybody who's there early is actually going to get to see the process as we go from Fed now 
to maybe fentanyl 2.0, then eventually to fentanyl 3.0, and that may actually be the CBDC. They'll never call it CBDC, right? They'll call it the fentanyl or something like that. But what's interesting about that video clip that you played is like I talked about the one country that's behind the U.S. Very interesting. Not not a good sign for something that with a system that's so important that's going to be driving the world and the, and the number one innovator in the world is just lagging behind. Never a good sign. Guys, we're getting some uh, some people are asking me about that Twitter spaces this Sunday. I believe it's going to be July 9th at 830 p.m. Eastern. I'm going to be hosting a Twitter spaces through the Merlin application. And what we're going to be discussing is the Fed now payment system upgrade. Now, there's a lot of misconceptions around this new technology. We got 313 live listeners joining us. We did about a half an hour overtime this morning. So please show us some love. We don't ask for money on this channel. Hit nope. that like button and subscribe down below. We're going to see you guys in 72 hours. And like we always say, Warriors, guys, get the shit together, baby. Thank you for joining us. And you can go to the Merlin website or Merlin Twitter page and sign up for a set reminder for that Merlin spaces. Absolutely, guys. We'll see you in 72 hours. And like we always say, Warriors, guys, get the shit together, baby. Thank you for joining us.